Uh, and so today we're starting, uh, obviously, maybe piece that together, a new series. Uh, Luke just read from us from Jonah chapter one. And so we are going to work through the book of Jonah over the next probably six or seven weeks, um, kind of a summer series. It'll take us through most of the summer uh, but as we do, the reason I was thinking about Jonah a lot and planned at the beginning of the year for us as we got done uh, with the life of Jesus and going through that to do Jonah next. And, and one of those reasons is just simply we like to do New Testament and Old Testament and have a balance. We spent a lot of time in the gospel since the beginning of the year. And so now we're going to go to Old Testament uh, minor prophet. But much more deeper than just that in, in terms of why Jonah and looking at it is, is there's lots and lots of issues in our world today that I think the book of Jonah really speaks to and helps us to see and and wrestle with. Um, I, I've been uh, just concerned as I look just in, in my lifetime and I see it greatly. It just seems to be more and more division uh, in our country and in our world and the way we uh, articulate things and the way we see things. Uh, I remember hearing a guy talking, oh, probably within the last year, uh, a, a pastor that I respect a lot and he was actually interviewed, I think it was for like the New York Times, um, and he was talking about what he had seen in his lifetime. And he's older than I am. I think he's in his mid, mid to late 60s. And he was saying like in his lifetime from his parents' generation until now that he's seen this great shift in the way our country seems to uh, get along or not get along as it is. And, and he used the example that he said when I was growing up. He said, my mom was pretty political and she was always, you know, real invested in in elections and those sort of things. But in her generation, they they would uh, kind of be for who they were for and they'd be excited about it. But if their guy didn't win the presidency or didn't get elected, that the president was still their president, that in their generation, they spoke of the president being our president, whether they were the person you voted for or not. And what he was saying is in my lifetime, that's no longer the case. If it's the person I didn't vote for, then they're illegitimate and they're not my president. It's your president. And we have this great divide. And he said he's seen that change in his lifetime. And I think part of that is we have this this identity of self so much tied to our political beliefs and the things that we hold dear. That's true of all of us. But it seems lately to be kind of ramped up into this us versus them mentality that we see in everything. More so in in politics and in our country right now and the way we see things, we make our political affiliation be the the primary identity for a lot of people. And what has happened is is not just having convictions to what we believe, but attacking those who believe differently. And if they don't believe the same things we do, then they're free game to just go after them. That's kind of the way our political system runs now. And so we have this thing where it's almost like we've held up as an ideal that it's not just about what you believe or what you like or what you're for, but what you're against and attacking those that you're against. And so this has become kind of commonplace in the way uh, our world and our country in particular operates. And and I was thinking about how uh, that's gotten worse and worse and how easy it is to kind of be known for what you don't like and what you're against. Uh, I saw a great uh, graduation speech. It was probably like six months ago. It wasn't this graduation cycle. It was maybe from the last last time, maybe even around Christmas, those graduating at the, the midterm. But it was a college graduation. And the guy was giving uh, one of those videos that goes viral. And he was given like his 10 things to tell graduates to live by. And some of the stuff he said I didn't agree with or whatever. But there was one point in the middle of it. And this guy was probably about my age. 
Uh, and he was saying that one of the things he was encouraging them to do is he said, be known not for what you're against, but what you love, what you're passionate about. And he said, it's very easy to be a critic. And he was being very self-reflective. He said, I've been one of those people in my life that's very, very critical of music I don't like and movies I don't like and food I don't like and all these things. And he's like, it's so easy to talk about how bad things are. That's really bad. And that's terrible. And that's awful. And he said, but I've had this change in my life. I want to be known as a person who is excited about the things that I passionately love and care about. And he said, so I encourage you to be the same. I thought, man, what a good message for our world today to be about the things that you passionately care about, how easy it is to begin to define ourselves. Well, I'm not that and I'm against that and I'm against that and I'm against that. And instead of, especially as believers, of trumpeting the grace of God and who he is and the way he loves us and being known for being a person that is passionately, passionately excited about who God is. And I think that's a good reminder for us because we've gotten into this thing in our culture of an us versus them. They're really wrong and they're really bad. And so it's okay for me to be angry about that or it's okay for me to attack them. And the reason I say that and the reason I start there is I'm seeing that more and more. And it's disconcerting to me because at the very heart of everything we believe is that people are changed by encountering the grace of God. Grace being undeserved merit, getting what we don't deserve, but our culture has embraced the opposite. And the book of Jonah hits on a lot of these themes and a lot of these things come out in this. We see in this book, this guy who is a a prophet who God sends to go to people that are awful. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the people he is sent to are really, truly awful in so many ways. And what we see is Jonah rebelling against what God is telling him to do. And and the truth is, like what we see in Jonah, I think at least one of the big themes is a misplaced identity and who he is. He's a guy who's really, really uh, arrogant. He thinks he's better than everyone else around him. Uh, Not only is he arrogant, he's a hypocrite. He's not very gracious. He's disobedient to what God tells him to do. The truth is, if you, you look through the Bible and you look at Jonah, there's not much good there. Right? Uh, other than the prayer he kind of prays in chapter two, it's all pretty bleak for Jonah. He's just a disaster in a lot of ways. And it's all I think you see a lot of it rooted and grounded in a misplaced identity that's led him to think it's kind of us versus them. And so this lesson that God's teaching us through this prophet Jonah And this book in the Bible, I think, is vitally relevant to where we are as a country today and the things that we're experiencing and we're seeing around us. Because right in the middle of this is shining through this truly compassionate God that loves us and he's calling us to go across to the people that are very different and are very hard and very difficult. And in this case, very wrong. The people that Jonah gets sent to. And so as we spend the next few weeks going through the book of Jonah. What I want to do today is just give you big picture overview of Jonah. And I want to plant some some seeds to some themes that are here that hopefully you start to kind of think about marinate on. We'll start to think on those things and then we'll dive deeper into it. Next week, we're going to start in chapter one, verse one, and we're just going to work our way through the book of Jonah. And there's a lot of great lessons here and a lot of important things that point us to God's grace for us and ultimately what that looks like in Jesus 
But today I want us just to think big picture of what it's showing and talking to us about. And so when we look at this book, in a lot of ways, uh, what God does is he's inspired this. We don't know if it was written by Jonah or it's just about Jonah. We don't know who the author is. But much like what Jesus does with the parable or, or the story of the Good Samaritan, as he tells that story, Jonah's kind of like that. It's almost like upside down in a lot of ways to shine a light on the things that we miss. Right. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, that's why I say this. Right. The Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the story about who is your neighbor and how to love those around you. And he tells the story very much in a way that there's a guy in trouble and he's in need and he's been robbed and he's beaten up and how everyone kind of goes around him and doesn't help him. And in the story, he brings out all the people that you would normally think his audience would think would help the guy. And he leaves all them out and he gets to the very end and he talks about the Samaritan that comes along. The Samaritans were the hated sworn enemies of the Jews of the day. They did not get along. They didn't want to have anything to do with each other. And Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. And he points this out and he brings it out and he shows that this is who your neighbor is. And this is what it looks like to love those around you. And very similarly in the book of Jonah, we see the prophet of God and he's a mess. He's a disaster in like every way. The guy that God sends and he kind of blows it in all these ways. But we see these sailors. You just heard about them as we've Luke read the first chapter and they're quick to go cry out to your God and they're quick to repent and they're quick. They have these soft hearts of wanting to see. We see the same as he goes to the Ninevites that he's sent to and they're quick to repent. And we see everybody around him being more gracious and more soft hearted than the guy that's supposed to be the man of God. And I think the upside downness of the book of Jonah is to kind of shine a light on the ways we can get lost in that when our identity is not rooted and grounded in who God is and what he's done for us. And so I want us to think like this. This is the way I'm going to do this real quick. We're going to do just an overview of the book of Jonah. We're going to walk through it real quickly. Maybe you're not familiar with the whole of it. First chapter, maybe you're we just read it. Maybe you got that part. But we're going to go through the book of Jonah. And then secondly, I want us to see what happens when our identity is not rooted in the grace of God, right? Just to consider that a little bit, because that's a big theme that comes out through this. And then secondly, when it's not rooted in the grace of God, when our identity is rooted, not in that other things will come in to fill that void. And it's a disaster when it does. And so I just want us to think about those kind of big themes. And then next week, we'll start our way working verse by verse through the book of Jonah. But let's start first with just big picture overview, right? Very beginning of this book, it says Jonah is sent. God says, go to Nineveh, the great city and call out against this for their evil has come up before me. And the first thing we see is that God sends Jonah to this place, Nineveh. Nineveh is a giant city at the time. It is the capital of Assyria. And God sends him to go to these people. And Jonah immediately there, right at the beginning, turns and goes the other way. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't give us his reason. It just says he goes down and he buys a ticket for a boat to go the opposite direction. Now, part of that is Nineveh is the capital of Assyria and the Assyrians were an awful people. They are brutal in their violence. They are brutal in the way they treated people and what they did. Jonah would have certainly known this. And as God says, I want you to go to those people to proclaim my message. If you know anything about who they are, it makes some sense why he goes the other way. We know from history, just from archaeological evidence, uh, relief that they carved into stone of the way that they operated in Assyria. The levels at which they were horrific 
They were big into torture and dismemberment, dismemberment, decapitation. They did have like a head on a stick that was happening in Assyria. So much so that uh, historians say that when we look at the history of the world, that the Assyrians were as gory and as blood curling as any. I was reading just about their background and their history in the last few weeks preparing for this. And one of the things that they did when they came in and they defeated uh, an enemy is they would take soldiers and they would cut both their legs off and one of their arms and they would leave the other arm so that they could come up sarcastically and shake their hand like a good battle and then leave them to die. And you go, I mean, I hear that. And I think of that of like a movie, but not as a real life that I can't even fathom that. The, the brutality with which they operated. And so when you place yourself in that world and that happening and God says, I want you to go to those people and declare what I'm going to do. I can understand why Jonah goes, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to go get a ticket on a boat that goes the other way. And that's exactly what he does. In chapter one, he begins to flee and he goes the other way and he gets on this boat and a great storm arises and it tells us he's asleep in the bottom and the sailors are crying out to their gods and they're begging for mercy. And they see this as much more than just the average storm. There's something else going on here and they go and they wake him up and they say, you pray to your God, too. And then quickly, as they start to ask, they go, where are you from and who are you and what's happening? It comes out. Of who he is, that he's a foreigner and that he's a Hebrew and that he fears God, which is kind of ironic that he says that since he's running from God. But we'll come back to that. And he says these things and they say, well, cry out to your God. And they quickly discern as they cast lots that they're in this trouble because of Jonah. And so they come to the agreement that they will throw him overboard. Again, we see those far from God, the pagan sailors, kind of softer hearts. They don't want to throw him over. He's like, throw me into the sea. And it says, well, they actually rode harder. They're like, Let's not do that just yet. Let us try to get out of this one more time. But then they finally relent and they throw him into the sea. Probably the most famous part of the book of Jonah. If you don't know anything about Jonah, you probably know the next part. He gets swallowed by a great fish that God brings along and he spares him in the middle of the ocean and the water there. And he gets swallowed up and he gets into the belly of this great fish. And in chapter two, he has a repentance of sorts. He prays to God. We'll see in chapter three and particularly in chapter four that his repentance is more of like a foxhole confession. It's not really a great heart change. It's more like I'm about to die and I'm in the belly of this fish. And so he prays this prayer in chapter two, chapter three, that God spares him and brings him back to the dry land, tells him again to go to Nineveh. So he goes and he goes into Nineveh and he preaches probably one of the lamest sermons in all the Bible. Right? It's pretty weak. If you if you look at what he says, he goes in and this is what he says. Chapter three and verse four. He called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. Jonah goes into Nineveh and he stands in the middle and he says, you're going to be overthrown in 40 days. And it's almost as if Jonah says, fine, I will go, but I'm going to do the bare minimum. It's like when I tell my kids to clean the room, right? Fine, I'll clean my room. And they throw everything in the closet and close the door, right? That's kind of what he did. He goes and he says just these few words in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. But this incredible thing happens in God's grace. He saves the people of Nineveh. They repent. 
Suddenly it starts to spread through the people and they hear this word from this prophet, this Israelite, this Hebrew that comes and they begin to repent and it reaches the king. And the king says, maybe if we repent, God will be gracious to us and he will relent and he will save us. And he begins to call for them to, to mourn and to turn from their ways and to not do the violence and the evil that they've been doing. And then it gets to the end of chapter three and God saves them. He relents and he doesn't destroy them. And we get to chapter four and we get to the very end of the book. And there is Jonah like a petulant child upset. He's mad. He's like, what are you doing? These people are awful. <laughs> How could you save them? And he's sitting outside the city and he's upset. And he even goes so far to say at the beginning of chapter four, he prays to the Lord and he says, is not this why I said when I was in my country, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you hear what he says? He says, I knew it. You're gracious. I knew you were going to spare these people. That's why I didn't want to come. And you're like, what? That's that's what he says. And then God gives him this object lesson at the end of the book. And it ends with him upset saying, just kill me now. What a waste. And he's so upset. And you think, what in the world is happening here? And I want us just to think about a couple big things, some seeds I want to sow for you to think about as we work our way through this book. But the first one is this, is what we see in this book is what happens when our identity is not rooted and grounded in the grace of God. He says, I knew you to be gracious, but he's upset. He's angry. He's frustrated that God spared these people. Now, what we know about the Assyrians, there's some reasons why he would feel that way. But what I want us to think about here for just a second is how easy it is to say that we are saved by the grace of God. I am saved by grace through faith and what Jesus does for us and nothing else. We say that every single week here. And we go, yes, we believe that as Christians. That's what makes us Christians. We're saved by the grace of God and what he's done for us in Jesus. And it's easy to say that. And we come to faith and we really believe that. I'm not saying we don't, but then functionally to believe and act like we had something to do with our salvation. We often operate that way. Like, yes, I am saved by grace and God has done this work in me and through me and for me. And, and look at what he's done. And then in the back of our minds to think, yeah, it was like 75 percent God and 25 percent me. Or something like that. Now, we wouldn't say it that way. We wouldn't say it's no, it's all God's grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all God's grace. But he must have given more grace to that guy. It would take more grace to that guy over there because he's really bad. Right. And we start to kind of function that way. And when we do that, we start to operate in this kind of works based righteousness that slips in the back door. And instead of our identity being rooted and grounded in the grace of God and what he's done for us, and it's completely his grace to us, we start to believe the lie functionally that I had a little bit to do with it. Or maybe it's a little different than that. Maybe you were a mess and you would say it was 100 percent God's grace. He did all of it. He was so gracious to me. I was so far from God and he did this work in my life and he allowed me to see my great sin and his wonderful grace. And then you get involved in a church and things start to turn around and you start to do better 
And, and it's because God's grace in your life and he's changing you and he's he's bringing you from one degree of glory to another. And that is a good thing. And, and you're starting to get your life together and you're starting to see growth in these areas and you're a little more patient and you're a little more humble and God's doing this work. And then one day you're like, I'm pretty patient. I'm pretty humble. I'm a pretty good person now. And instead of seeing that it's God's grace in every area of your life along the way that he's been doing this and showing you and teaching you, you start to think, well, I'm glad I'm not like those people over there. They're the ones that are really messed up. And so how quickly the deceitfulness of our hearts can take that and begin to change that. And I think the heart of that is that we're missing the very fullness of God's great grace and the depths of our sin. We like to kind of whitewash it. I'm not quite that bad. And so what happens is, is we shrink God's grace and we shrink his holiness and we kind of expand our goodness and how good I am. And we start to feel that way about things. But the truth is, and we were just talking about this this morning in the equipping hour, if we got what we deserved, each and every one of us, we're all sinners We have all ignored God. We've all rebelled against God and the world he created. And we've done it over and over again. And God said from the very beginning, as he created people, he said, trust me, don't rebel against me. Trust what I'm telling you. Identify yourself in me. And if not, the wages of sin is death. If we were to get what we deserved, if God was to respond to us in the way that we deserve, the moment we sin, God would kill us. That'd be the end. You get no more breath. You're over. The fact that you and I sit here today drawing breath, still alive, is evidence of God's grace in our life that he allows us to be alive. And we forget that. And we start to think, oh, I'm not that bad. I've kind of got it together. Paul says in Romans chapter two, not to presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And if you read that in context in Romans 2, he says the reason that you're still alive and drawing breath is because God is kind and he's patient and he's gracious and don't presume on that. But we often do that. And I'm not saying you're not saved or you don't believe in God's grace, but the deceitfulness of our heart is very, very tricky. And we will quickly start to see ourselves as better than we are. And we'll start to minimize God's grace. And when that begins to happen, we fall in this delusion that we're better than those people over there. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Jonah. Jonah is a very proud man. He's very uh, leads with he's a Hebrew, right? When they when they pull him up in the boat and they wake him up and they say, who are you and what's happening? And he stands up and he says, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord of God in heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's chapter one and verse nine. He leads with he's a Hebrew. And we'll come back to that. He leads with his ethnic national identity. I'm a Jew. Right. I'm an Israelite. I'm God's chosen people. It's the same heart that Jesus was dealing with over and over with the Jewish people of his day. We're God's chosen people. You know what the Bible says about why they were God's chosen people in Deuteronomy chapter seven? Right. Moses preaching to them as they're about to take the promised land. They've just been saved from Egypt. They're growing into this great nation. And God says, you remind them of these things. 
And in Deuteronomy chapter seven, Moses speaking for God as he tells them, right? You remind them that I chose you not because you were the greatest, not because of anything in you. You were actually the smallest. And I chose you because I chose you and I chose you because I love you and I love you because I love you. And he shows them and he tells them that and how often we forget that. God's grace to us is God's grace. And so what happens with Jonah's his identity is no longer rooted and grounded in the grace of God and his life to himself. He doesn't want to see that grace extended to other people. Because they don't deserve it. Right? That's, that's kind of what he's getting at. I knew you were going to save these people. What's wrong with you? Right? What's behind that? What is the heart that is behind that? Those people over there don't deserve it. But what Jonah was forgetting is that he doesn't deserve it either. And neither do I. And neither do you. Grace is undeserved merit. God giving us what we don't deserve. That's what grace is. That's what it means. And when we forget that, we start to think that we're something that we're not. We are desperate sinners that are in the need of God's grace. That is our identity as Christians. We're not the good people that figured it out and got things together. We're people that recognize I can't do this on my own and I desperately need God. I desperately need the grace that God has given to us in Jesus. And this is so very important to everything that we are and everything we believe and every aspiration that we ever have as a church. That's why we say we want to be gospel centered. Right? That's, that's the heading over everything we believe as a church. We say we want to be gospel centered. Centered on the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And that informs everything else. Because when we miss that, when we miss that it's God's grace to us, this is what happens. What we see with Jonah. I'm not going to those people. They don't deserve your grace. I don't want to go there. And so we have to keep that at the very central of everything, because otherwise it leads to an us versus them mentality. They don't deserve God's grace. They're far from God. They're a lost cause. They're way too out there. And that's exactly what's happening in our country. That's exactly the way people fight and argue today. But when we see that it's all God's grace to us and Jesus and what he's done, it leads to great humility and not only humility, but it leads to uh, just an understanding that it's that it's nothing I could ever do. So it's a gratitude that comes out of that. And this humility and gratitude starts to blow apart those ideas of us versus them. Go, Man, that person's really far from God, just like me, except for the grace of God. And it begins to erase those lines of where we go and where we won't go or what God can do or what he can't do. And so you see that right at the heart of this book with Jonah. And the truth is, I alluded to this, but sometimes when we get in the church, kind of get surrounded in this cocoon of like, oh, good people. and We pat each other on the back and we're all doing well. Right. Everybody smiles. How's it going? I'm great. How are you? Great. Right. And we kind of live in that. 
and it starts to foster a sense of we're not desperate in need of God and his grace, but everything's good and we got it together and we're the people that have it together. But what this book reminds you as you go through it is often what we see throughout this book is that the people far from God are quicker to recognize the grace of God than the prophet is. And I think sometimes when you become comfortable with God's grace and we say it enough and we talk about it enough that we can miss it right in front of us. And that's exactly what happens with Jonah. And so the first thing I just want you to be thinking about as we work through this book is what happens when our identity is not rooted and grounded in the grace of God to us. All these problems come. But the second thing, and I'll be real brief here and we'll end with this. That when your identity is not rooted and grounded in the gospel, that's not the central to your identity, something else will fill that void. And so if I'm not a sinner that is saved by grace and it's undeserved merit that God has given me and Jesus, something else will become the sinner. The sinner of my being and the way I operate and the way I see things. Now, sometimes we come into a church and it becomes, well, I'm a good person and I go to church. And what happens instead of being a gospel centered person, we become very religious people. And what I mean by that is we're we're all about how good we are and how things are together and how I've got it. And that's a scary place to be. I was just reading last night uh, in a a devotional I read. I was talking about uh, when Paul writes that his strength is made in, in his weakness, that God is strong when he is weak. And seeing that and the importance of understanding that I cannot do this on my own, that is where I rely on God more and that is where God works. And when we get into the delusion that I've got it pretty much together and things are going well, how easy it is to forget our desperate need for God. And so maybe religion becomes the thing. We become, I'm the good person that's got my stuff together and that's my identity now. Or we throw it into something else. We take something else good in our life and we make it the ultimate thing. That's what idolatry is, taking good things and making them ultimate things. And so we make our identity about being a father or being a mother or my family or my job. And all those are really good gifts from God, but they cannot be the central of your identity because they will let you down. And when we start to do that and we start to let other things come in and do that, The thing that God calls us to do is he does a Jonah here to go to those that are far from God. We're too busy with these other things. And it doesn't make sense because we're not experiencing the grace of God in our own life. And to be gracious to people that don't deserve it. Right. It's very hard for us. But when we recognize the grace of God in our own life, then it's a natural outflowing to go to those that are far from God, because we know how desperately we need Jesus in our own life. And when I recognize how desperately I need Jesus in my own life, I can't help but see every person that I come into contact with. They need the grace of God and they need Jesus. And the places where I miss that are when my identity is built on other things and I'm, I'm putting my energy and my effort into all these other things and I'm forgetting the grace of God in my own life. And so I want us as we think through the book of Jonah as we work our way through it to this be standing over all of it is that you and I stand by the grace of God through what Jesus has done for us and nothing else. 
That is our very identity of who we are and what it means to be a Christian and to love others in this world. It's not about us, but it's about who God is and what he's done for us. And we want that to be over all things. And so what this book does in a lot of ways as we work our way through it is it stands in a, uh, as a mirror. And it kind of shows us these things that Jonah's doing and the way he's disobedient and the way he's running from God and the way he's not being gracious and the way he looks down on other people and you see all these things and then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I'm Jonah. I do that. I do that when I forget that it's God's grace in my life and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so I want you to be thinking as we work our way through Jonah, not not this. uh, Oh, look at Jonah. He's so messed up. I think the truth is there's there's a lot of like, how am I like Jonah? How do I need to see more fully who Jesus is and what he's done for me and resting my identity in him and his grace and his grace alone? Because you're going to see over and over this. If you've been here before, you know this, right? We're going to walk through the book of Jonah and you're going to see how every single bit of it points to Jesus. I don't know if you knew this, but the the hero of Jonah is actually Jesus. (laughs) And he's in every single one of these. (laughs) And we're going to go through it. We're going to see how he's not seeing that and then how Jesus did it perfectly. And so we can rest in him. And so that is so very important when we think about our world and how to love people that we would see that we are grace bought people. And that would be our identity. So pray with me. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I thank you for uh, how we forget and that you are still faithful, that we are so often like Jonah, how we quickly can begin to look down on others, how quickly we can be disobedient to the things that we see you calling us to. And maybe they don't make sense to the way we feel at that moment. And so it's easier to be disobedient. I pray that you would help remind us that it's all what you've done for us, that our identity is rooted and grounded in you, that when we are disobedient, when we do look down or when we do these things that we're talking about, that you stand there perfect in your righteousness, offering that to us through what you've done. And so we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. Help us to see that more clearly, to rest in your goodness and all things. We pray all of it in Jesus name. Amen.